what deal in real estate did you buy? And you were like, all right, I think I can make some good money. That's a great this. question. I was just like writing numbers down. I was by myself thinking if the, if the rents go up by this and go by by that and I buy another building and then I have this one and I can do this and do that and I can refinance. I said, wow, this really could work. Today's episode is sponsored by Holy Milk. I've got a test package here. Delicious vegan milk that has no seed or vegetable oil, refined sugar, natural flavors, or non-organic stabilizers. This stuff is delicious. Check out the Holy Milk Instagram to find out where you can purchase Holy Milk in New York City. Here we are on beautiful Jones Street. You start that, Jones. Test, test, checking. Quick test, check. quick test. Okay, hello, uh, guys. Ted Jones, World Podcast at. Are First, we, of, are we filming? Yeah. Is this filming? Is yeah, it on? Yeah, and it's audio. Okay, I was going to say. First and foremost, thank you for coming on the podcast again. My pleasure. Guys, we recorded for an hour yesterday and we only got about seven minutes of footage. So you figure minutes. since you're a math guy, what's I the am. percentage there? I don't know. About 12 and a half percent. Nice. Something like that. Um, but we had an issue with the iPhone because I, I never really shoot on the iPhone. But here we are on the iPhone. We usually have a camera set up in the studio with what's Ted up, Jones World in iPhone. New York. So um, everything kind of didn't go as well as planned. But we got to warm up in. My father, by the way, I don't think I introduced you um, yet. You are my dad. I am. And you're a good guy. You're Thank a successful you. businessman. I'm all right. And um, it's, uh, I don't know if I've ever told you, you know, face to face, but it's, it's inspiring what you've done considering, I don't want to say considering where you came from, because you definitely came from a family that did well for themselves, right? Grandma and grandpa did well, very well. Grew up decidedly middle class. Yeah, I was going to ask. Do, would you can would you say like middle class, upper middle class, or you'd say middle class for the I most mean, part? And then you grew into upper middle class. You grew into the upper middle class maybe once you were in high school and college. Once uh, grandma and grandpa started, yeah, to they get made their money together. later on. You know, um, you know, just like when I was in college, not t- not tons of money, but yeah. you know, they they did very well. After, you know, after I left the house, they were waiting for that. Okay, so here we are in Miami. I've been down here for four nights now. We've had a great time. Great to have you. Um, yeah, I've been working out in your gym downstairs, been running on the beach out there. We've been going to dinner. I went to a comedy show last night, but uh, short trip, and I'm going home today. Uh, we have, or I have, a, as you guys are listening to this, it's Monday last night. It was New Year's Eve, and um, I'll be performing at, uh, or I did perform, I should say, at the comedy shop I'm sure on Bleecker Street. I'm sure, yes, I'm hosting a show uh, for yeah. Sherrod Small, who's a New York comedy legend, uh, which will be dope. I'm excited for that. So let's talk about um, your journey down here to Miami. You were saying on the last episode of the pod that you started coming down to mm-hmm. Miami uh, more frequently in 2003. Yeah, I started coming down for business in 2003. Okay, what was your thought process there to jump from New York owning buildings to coming down to here in Florida? I felt like New York was too expensive. And um, I wanted to start exploring other markets. And I thought South Beach would be a great idea. Well, you thought Florida would be a good idea or South Beach in particular? South Beach in particular. Why is that? Well, I wanted to be in Miami. You know, I mean, I didn't want to be in Tallahassee. Um, So... Um, you know, the weather's great. It's a lot of fun down here. So that's where I wanted to go. You know, I think that's interesting. You mentioned like you didn't want to be in Tallahassee. I think that when maybe people who are a little bit older than me and they're starting to get into buying real estate in their mid thirties, forties, they'll look for the best deals in the best part of the country. But then 
afterwards, like secondly, they'll think, oh, but I don't know if I want to spend all that time down there. You know, like they'll buy apartment buildings in Jacksonville and Tallahassee yeah. and maybe random parts of Texas. But then you're going to need to go there at least like twice a quarter, you know. So well, someone was need, is going to need to go there for sure. Right. Did you have other coworkers or people that you knew that were going down to random places in the south and they were making money and maybe you were going to potentially go there or were you set on miami because that's where you wanted to be no i was set on miami because that's where i wanted to be okay smart so you'd suggest to people that you need to think about your lifestyle first and then secondly business. absolutely you know yeah like like you said um you know by 2003 i was already established uh had a big presence in new york and so it was it was uh sort of the second stage of my career if you will well, second stage, you'd say, well, if you started coming down here in uh, 2003. Second stage of my real estate career. Okay, right. Because you started buying buildings in New York around 1992. That was the yes. first building that you bought. It was. What At what age did you know that you were going to be successful in life and in real estate? Once you bought that first building in 1992. Well, that's a loaded that question. It? I mean, like, successful in life? I mean, you know. Because, well, I mean, I, I remember talking to you. Uh, there was, like, a certain point where you're like, okay, I'm good at this. I know that in the future I can build on this path. Right? I get you mean in real estate itself. You sure. mean, like, well, so when I, 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 I was, um, you know, I, I had gone to business school and I worked on Wall Street and um, the stock market crashed and the whole I was in a training class at an investment bank and the whole class was laid off. And, um, you know, so I had to scramble and do what I wanted to figure out what I was going to do. I, um, I wasn't really happy at, in investment banking. Um, I decided I wanted to do real estate. My father had dabbled in that and I thought it was really interesting. And I worked with him a little bit on that stuff. And so I, um, I said real estate was where I wanted to be. Um, you know, so when I, I didn't real, I had done a bunch of stuff before I, I bought my first building. And I, you know, I, I was kind of floundering um, once I was, once I was let, let go from the investment bank. And how uh, old were you at that time? Um, late 20s. It took me like literally 10 years to make a living. I was either unemployed or underemployed for 10 years. It was a tough time. When Grandpa had first bought that building when he was in his, I don't know, 40s or 50s on the upper west side. West side. I don't even know how old he was. Well, but you you were discussing how 50s, he yeah. would, Grandma and him, every Saturday would set up a bridge table outside that building from 10 a.m. to that, 5 p.m. Not the upper west Well, actually, he probably yeah, did you on the upper cool. west side also. I was talking about the Chelsea building in particular. Oh, okay. um, yeah, I guess he did that. They So they bought a building on 85th Street between Columbus and Amsterdam, which was not a nice area, you know. Um, at that time, that was like the late seventies. Um, Amsterdam, I mean, Columbus was nice up to the museum on Eighty First Street, the Museum of Natural History. Um, the other one, uh, Amsterdam, wasn't nice, you know, past Seventy Fifth Street or so. And this was Eighty Fifth Street, so it was um, somewhat speculative. But he did very well, you know, and, and um, that was the first time that he really did very well and had his own money. Um, so, like I said, I was already um, largely out of the house in college. Did you ever time. go sit with them at the bridge table, try and uh, I never sell apartments? So the reason them. they were outside yeah. of the apartment building with a bridge table Well, they were, they were inside one of the apartments. 
Oh, okay. Or I think they were outside the building. Well, it's not whatever. I thought that they were it, with their gloves cold, like playing bridge, like the guys in Washington Square Park. No, no, it wasn't like that. Wait, what, so they were <laughs> in one of the apartments. How did they get people to come up? They were just yelling at them? Because they put ads the in the Times for every Saturday and oh, Sunday. They, they had an open house. So they didn't have brokers at the time? I don't think they were using well, they brokers. They saved a good amount of money. Was Why would they not use brokers then? Uh, you know, I never They're thought about prevalent. that. I guess because they didn't want to spend the money on the broker. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So the they were there from night, from like ten to six, Saturday and Sunday. Um, and you were in college. And had at open that time, houses. Maybe? Yeah. Uh, I guess I was. Yeah, I was in college. Well, I know you transferred from Lafayette in Pennsylvania to I NYU. Did. Were you at NYU at that time when they did that? No, I don't think so. Okay. Otherwise, you would have maybe come and helped. I'm sure they would have made you help. Ah, <laughs> <Right? laughs> come sit with us. Don't forget, your grandmother's going to be watching this pod. Yeah, but. Maybe she doesn't pay to pay attention to every single uh, point. Whoa, oh, it she, was fine. Whatever. Me saying that my mother. that was really <laughs> not even one of the stories that I'm sure she'd be upset to hear. You know, no, that, that was a good, you. you know they yeah, worked. I, they worked very very hard. They worked. They were there, like I said, from like ten till six, Saturday every Saturday and every Sunday. Yeah, they, um, they were very hard apartments. workers, which was um, definitely yeah, stressed. Very hard by, workers, especially by grandpa. He would always tell me how hard he worked and how he did work every hard. week. He would have a, he'd have a job, so he'd get three dollars a week, one for a French okay. lesson, one he'd save, and then one he'd give to his mother. Yeah. Um, growing up in Jersey City, he had a pretty um, difficult upbringing, right? He, he was uh, the he was youngest depression baby. Of, so he was the six, youngest, of, youngest six of six kids. Yeah, and um, so he would, when the depression came around, he was way under ten, and um, he was the youngest of six kids. And um, I was telling you this yesterday. He's probably like six or seven years old. Yeah, right? something like that. Okay. I was t- uh, that the um, you know it went three girls and then three boys. Had it gone three boys then three girls, you know the girls the oldest kids at that time were late teens, early twenties. They could have gone out and made a living, but because it was girls, you know, unfortunately at that time, um, women were undervalued and underemployed they, too. Uh, underemployed, right? they yeah. weren't respected. Um, they they got ser- secretarial and clerical jobs. You know, men got all the high-paying jobs. At that particular time, after the Depression, who was the one who put it in Grandpa's head that was like, you either need to be a doctor or a lawyer to make a real living? I, I don't know specifically at that time. That? Because he, he wasn't a doctor or a lawyer. He was a CPA, an accountant. Um, but all the kids, the rich kids in my community, all their parents were, do- all their fathers were doctors or lawyers. So that's why he wanted me to be a doctor or a lawyer. What were some of the things that he stressed when you were growing up that made you know that you needed to work hard in order to be successful? Besides, like the shoveling of the snow. <laughs> Besides the, the shoveling of snow, yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> well, that was a big, that was an obvious one. Oh, well, kids was, these days, I feel like they—that's what they do. They shovel snow. Except for me, I don't know. Did if you I ever shovel snow, Teddy? Maybe I made someone else shovel snow. Oh, yeah. Why don't you do that over there? <laughs> no, I was wait. the manager of the go, go sh- shovel show snow. snow. No, we never. Snow we, shoveler. We, um, tongue twister. I, I always, we, oh, the three kids, I was one of three, we always did work around the house. We had to clean up the kitchen. Um, you know, we had chores. We had to shovel snow, rake the leaves, all those kind of things. And those were... Um, little jobs that you did that made you realize that you need to work hard, or were there some things no, that you saw that were annoying? Difficult? I hated working hard, right. <laughs> right? But I mean, I saw my father as an example. He worked so hard. How many hours a week would you say that he worked? 
Including the bridge table, that counts. Well, I mean, he would drive into the city. So that's probably an hour and a half each way. That far? From um, South Orange, New Jersey. Right, from South Orange, New Jersey. Yeah, it was probably... I mean, that's because it was like weekend traffic, and then coming home was probably traffic, too. Well, no, I mean, commuting traffic, commuter traffic. He worked in the city. Okay. Uh, actually, not always, but, you know, some of the time he worked in the city. So he was always driving to work and driving back, and then he would, when he was home, he would probably do two or three hours of work Upstairs on the third floor in the attic, we they he put it he made himself an office in one of the rooms, and um, he but he was you know he's always so happy and whistling and singing to the radio and all that while he was working. I was here whistling and the attic machine going constantly. So how many hours a week though? Sixty or seventy hours is probably a good guess. Oh. A lot, right? Yeah. Did he go to school for accounting? Yeah. Yeah. He has, Jersey he City College. Or, or was, he uh, went to Rutgers, New, went to Newark. Jersey City State. Then he transferred to Rutgers, New York, where City he met State. my mother. Yes. And um, then, uh, you know, so he had, uh, you know, the CPA and uh, you know, he did well with it. Who were the richest people that you knew growing, growing up? Were they in South Orange or were there people that you knew in New York City? Because I remember. There was a time when you went to sleepaway camp and you met girls who lived in New York City. Yeah, and you were so just, impressed by it. It wasn't sleepaway camp. It was um, oh. sort of it was like at Phillips Exeter Academy. Was that Camp Shawnee? Or yeah, that was not a Camp Shawnee. One? Oh. <laughs> camp Shawnee. All the kids were poor, like me. Okay, um, <laughs> or middle class. Yeah, middle class. Uh, and um, so it, 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 I went to um, this program where they, they Exeter had a had a summer program, and it was the first time kids from all over the world came to this program. And I never met all these, it was my, my world busted open. And so I became very friendly with a, a lot of kids who were just like, you know, related to all these famous people, which was really kind of, it, it was astounding to me. You know, I mean, I lived in my little bubble in South Orange. How old were you at that time? 15. Okay. So um, like I became very friendly with JP Morgan's great, great granddaughter I am very friendly with um, Sarah Lee from the cake company. You might not even know that. No, S A R A. Yeah, Sarah. Correct. Well, I was saying there's no H, so I think I've seen it before. All right. Yeah, so there's no H. Um, but, <laughs> but her grandfather, it's actually her stepmother. Her step grandfather had started the company and named it after his little daughter, yeah. who was Sarah Lee. So that was her mother, and I was just so impressed by you, that. And they lived on the Upper East Side of yeah, Manhattan. That's and funny. They went to this this fancy private Chapin, school. Chapin, right, or Spence? Chapin. All-girls school. All I girls. find it interesting that um, <clears throat> there was this sense of lineage, you know, when you met these kids who grew up in New York City because their great-great-grandfather had done something that was important in society. But uh, we talked briefly yesterday about how you don't really know anything about your uh, grandfather, correct? Um, no, that's not my well, my, my father's father. That's I don't what know. I mean. Yes, excuse me. And my, but he also died in like 1945. But the reason that you didn't know a lot about him was because I never he heard left. anything from my father. Yes, because yes. he left my father's family when my father was like six or seven. Would grandpa just never talk about him? You wouldn't bring him up. Um, he rarely talked about him, and when he did, he would. It wasn't you know wasn't much nice to say about him. He didn't do anything good. You know, but his, he, he, he loved his mother. Yeah. His mother was an immigrant from Poland who came over when she was 20. That's crazy. Didn't really speak English that well. And she was a seamstress. So that's what she that's the way they were supporting themselves in the 
depression, you know, and, and plus the three older girls were working, you know, as also, you know, low level jobs, clerical kind of jobs. So there wasn't really a lot, you know, they, they, he, he loved his mother. His mother was great. But excuse me, she passed away before I was born. I'm actually named after her. I, I never, don't know. I she, never, she passed away before you were born. Elsie, right? Ethel. Ethel. No, Elsie was my mother's mother. Who I'm named after, who right? You're named after. And Ted Jones. Right. I, I, and <laughs> uh, she was, I, I, I was very close with her. She was, she was terrific. And then my, my grandfather, Pops, he was great too. Um, but, you know, it's actually funny that my, you know, Jews named their kids after a recently passed away relative. So, and the way they do it is with the first letter. So my grandmother, Ethel, passed away. I was named after her, Eric. And when, my, when I was growing up, my parents had said that they wanted to name, that they had considered naming me Edward and calling me Teddy, like Teddy Kennedy. And I was always saying, oh, wow, I wish my name was Edward Teddy. And Edward, then, yeah. and then my grandmother Elsie passed away, and Teddy was born. No, but then didn't you name me your name, Eric, for like a few minutes, and then you got in trouble? Your mother. We don't did. do that. Your oh, mother, she did. Yeah, your mother did. And then that. you got in trouble. Yes. So it's, did it say Eric on my birth certificate no, for a I moment? Think it got I that didn't far. get that far. No, it was just that you were born at nice. four a.m. in Jersey for six <laughs> weeks. By the way, so is that a, is that an accurate depiction? Because the amount of times I've said that on this pod that I was born in Jersey for six weeks, you were, and then we moved to New York. Is you that, were, you were born November thirteenth, and yeah. we moved to New York on December twenty first. Yeah, and we were like, six we, weeks. Like, we we were renovating a one bedroom apartment into two bedrooms, and. Um, these clowns were doing the renovation. And he said, oh yeah, it's done. I mean, I'm calling him every day. Is it done? Is it done? Is it done? Yes, it's done. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. So we came, the way we moved was with an enormous U-Haul trailer, tra like a, you know, one of those 18 wheelers. And then on behind that, we had, a, we hitched another little, little U-Haul thing. How much stuff did you have? I mean, it's a small apartment maybe it wasn't Princeton. that big. A, maybe a maybe the front the front truck wasn't a huge one. Right, right, right. Whatever, it's just a U-Haul truck, and we had another little thing. So what we had to do was we filled up the U-Haul, the big the big truck. Then we had to drive to U-Haul and hitch the back thing, mm -hmm. then go back and finish loading that. And then when we drove to New York, we unloaded the out the back thing, drove to U-Haul, got got rid of that thing, then had to drive back and then take off. To, and then empty the rest of it. But when we got to New York, the, the place was covered in sawdust. These guys were like trying to splice wires with a knife, um, you know, and use it like use a knife as a screwdriver. Like, what? What? And that's, that's what we moved into. What? And so it was it was a disaster. But whatever, it was it was fun. We were young. We didn't know any better. We didn't have any money. Where were you working at that time? I really. Probably wasn't really working. I mean, that's why we didn't have any money. Um, but um, your mother was working. Yeah. And thank God for that. That was the only money we had. She she was doing great in her advertising career. So your first job when you were working for the developer, we were talking about how this is right when I was born. You were making around forty k. Is that an accurate statement, or is that like um, a couple it years? Was like, before? That was uh, oh okay. So so the chronology was that I was working for an investment bank. And the whole class got laid off. That was before I was born. Before you were born. It was like late 80s. And I started working for a real estate uh, developer in Trenton, New Jersey, mm -hmm. commuting an hour and 15 minutes Reverse each way. Reverse commuting from right. the city we to Trenton. We were living in New York. Right, nice. Um, 
And it, why did you do that? I don't know because I needed a job. Yeah, but why did you move from Princeton to New York and then? To oh no, work we didn't in do Jersey? that. Yeah. Okay, I apologize. That was where you were born. This was before you were born. We were living in New York City. I was working at an investment bank, and then we were in the city. And then so I started reverse commute with that developer in Trenton, and that was three months. And then I got laid off there, and then I was out of work for nine months. And then started working at a real estate consulting firm, and they would take these Ivy League MBAs and ring them that, out, as they say. Ring them out, as I say. <laughs> yeah, they, they until they, until there was nothing left in them, and then just you know, then they quit. You know, I mean, so so you did you, did you end up quitting that job, or you got I fired quit that job. job. I okay. quit that job. I I um, met up with a, a, a an old friend who had been a lifeguard with me at the Jersey Shore who was doing development in South Jersey. So what he was doing was buying um, plots of farmland and bringing them through the town zoning to get permission to put single-family lots. So I put, I put streets and electric and plumbing and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, We never did that kind of stuff, only got it through, through the zoning and then sold it to a developer, a... a, a uh, a construction company that actually built single family houses. Okay, so uh, traveling back and forth, you said that you had a car phone. Do you remember your first cell phone though? Mm, no, I don't specifically. And how, did, and how did your parents adjust to that? Adjust to what? Having mobile phones and having the car phone. Oh, was it just still like, adjusting. It was, pretty, it was pretty seamless or no? <laughs> no, no, I, I, no, not many people had car phones. Most people just went straight to the cell phone. You know, um, I had a car phone while I was working for that developer in South Jersey, and uh, it was so cool having that car phone. Yeah, I you know, bet. there weren't cell phones around. I mean, that all people had was car phones, and uh, but I was only working there for a year, and uh, I was unemployed again, and that's when I was working at Fridays. When did he, I'm sure, um, you know, as each job came, you were worried about being fired or being underemployed. Was there, I know we talked about this uh, earlier, but was there a situation where you were like, all right, I'm not going to get fired and I'm not going to be underemployed again. Is that when mom asked you what things that you want in life? And then no. you were like, all right, I got to do this. Not exactly. Uh, I mean, like, I was, I was able to, um, you know, I mean, it was, it was sort of a blessing having this, this time uh, where I was unemployed because um, I, was able to sit back and say, what is it I want in life? And actually, um, like you said, you, you know, your mother and my wife at the time was uh, sort of guided me. We were working together and like, like, what do we do? Like, what, what do I want in life? I want, and I decided I want time, I want money, and I want control, freedom. So um, that, basically that meant I needed to be an entrepreneur. I need, you know, I, I, I can't work for somebody else. And I was never successful working for anybody else. You know, I don't want people telling me what to do. I always felt I was smarter, smarter than the boss. So I just don't have the temperament to work for somebody else. So that's when I started buying buildings. I mean, you know, I, I didn't start buying buildings. I mean, I... Yeah, what was the, what was the process like to I, buy that I decided first I wanted to buy a building. My father, okay. like, you know, we talked about my father doing this real estate stuff. And that had intrigued me. And I decided I wanted to do that. So I just started looking around and... I finally found a building to buy, and then it didn't turn out all right. And then um, through an ad in the New York Times, I met a broker. I was we were living in Princeton at this time. I met a broker who was living, uh, who was um, 
putting that in the New York Times. I went up and had lunch with him, and we got along great. Who's the broker? Mike Besson. Oh my gosh! You didn't know this? No, oh, that's so funny. Legend, Mike Besson. <laughs> he worked upstairs from your office building. For you guys worked for in the same 20 building. Years, I know. He that's moved insane. out. I miss him. Insane. Yeah, it's too if bad. If you're listening, what's up, dog? Um, <laughs> that's insane. Wow. So how? Uh, I know. I keep asking you how old are you. I just want to get the time. Yeah, what do you want to know about how old I am? So well, because I'm 32. I'm in the middle well, of I'm older know, than figuring you. out things at the moment. Yeah, but I know you're right now older than me. But I'm just trying to get I'll the timeline. So <laughs> yeah, but it shortens each time. It does each year percentage wise. Um, but I, I just want to kind of get the feel of where you were at different time frames in life. So when you were, uh, you came into the city. From Jersey, so you must have been... Uh, 30. 30, 31 at the time. And he was the same age as you? You were born. Yeah. Okay. You were just born. Yeah, yeah. He's, I think he's a year younger than me. Where did whatever. he go to college? And what? why did you deem him... Uh, he went to Northwestern. Um, oh, my God. Smarty pants, right? Well, but then you went to you went to Wharton, so he probably thought you were yeah, smart, Yes, so I'm smarter than him. <laughs> <laughs> I could beat him up. Huh? No, uh, no. but, but, but we, we spoke... When I called this ad, just randomly, because I was looking for buildings. What was the building, if you remember? I don't remember the specific... Well, do you remember? Was. Nah. But, but we, we spoke on the phone for um, like two hours. A car phone or... No, it was house actually phone. a house phone. He was in his office phone. And um, he I, had an office. Sorry, he had an office in the city at the time. He was, yes, he had an office. Okay. Um, and I went up to have lunch with him, and he said I should, I should be a broker. So I said, okay, I mean, I ain't doing nothing else. I mean, I wasn't getting paid or anything. So I just started smiling and dialing. So what you do as a, as a real estate broker is, well, I don't know what they do now, but back then, you had these big books called Coles, and they were like this thick. And there were probably two or three of them for Manhattan. And every single address was listed with the bro with the owner. Wow. And how big it was and the phone number. That's gotta be pretty valuable. And so you went one you went every today, single yeah. one and you do like two pages a day, you know, calling and you try to engage the owner, like is he interested in selling, etc. So um, I was doing that. And then while, you know, and there were like probably seven or eight people in the office and one of them, okay, so you want to back up for a second. Um, while I was still living in Princeton, I had found this building um, in the New York Times ad and it was, um, you know, it was a cool building and it was in Chelsea. And I, um, I, I realized after a little while that it was a flip, meaning that what the people had done was they tied it up in contract for a certain price, and then they went, to, they they shopped it around trying to sell it and sell it for more money. So they didn't even have to do anything. They so just that's not illegal to do. Money. No, it's not illegal. Why would it be illegal? Um, well, it just seems like if somebody had a contract on well, something, sort of they a little, somewhat un unethical, sure. but it's not illegal. Okay. Um, so I I realized that you know this is a flip, and um, I said I'm not going to do it. You know because the reason why I knew it was because. Um, the guys started getting more and more desperate to sell, meaning that their contract free period was was running out, and they kept on calling me and calling me and calling me, and then I didn't do it. And then um, there was a guy in the office, Amit Amit Doshi, another stellar broker, who um, told you know we, we all everybody talks and says what they found. And he found this building, and I said I know that building. I want to buy it, so I wound up buying it. But you wanted to buy it after you had heard from other people. I already that. wanted to buy it back when it was a flip. 
And then when I realized the flip, I said, I don't want to do this. Yeah, you felt that they were too desperate and yeah, there's something just going like, wrong. Yeah, it just didn't, it didn't work. That's crazy that guys who were 30 years old at that time buying buildings in New York. It's just like, if you think about that today in 2024 terms, it would be very difficult for three 30-year-olds with no money to buy buildings okay, in Chelsea, well, it, right? Okay, well, it wasn't easy. Believe me, it wasn't I'm easy. Saying, okay. You know, it was a really tough time. Like this is, I bought the first building in 1992. And at that time, there was this thing called the RTC, the Resolution Trust Corp, which had been formed by the, it's not the FDIC, I forgot the name, FSLIC, but F stands for federal. Okay. Anyway, Federal Savings and Loan Insurance Corp. So um, there, were, there were a few different kinds of banks. And there used to be, I don't think there are any more savings and loans. And the FSLIC would guarantee loans deposits up to $100,000 or whatever the number was back then. So people would make deposits into the bank and these people just made loans and they were just getting fees and they didn't care about the loans they were making. They just got fees all the time. This is kind of what happened in 2008, right? Yeah, 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 kind of like, well, I mean, a variation of that well, for sure. Yeah, just giving out loans. But but yeah, so so um, then, you know, the, the market went down and they had given out ninety percent mortgages, oh. and you know now the build now the buildings were worth eighty percent of what they were before. So these ninety percent mortgages are now worth more than the money, and people were walking away from the properties left and right. They weren't there was no personal guarantee. They didn't care. Just walk away from it. And so then, because all these people were walking away from it, these banks started going getting on going under. Started and so getting they were having fire on. sales and the FSLIC would take over the banks because they were guaranteeing the mortgage, the, the uh, deposits. So they said, you're not here anymore. We're, we're going to guarantee these deposits. And now we own these banks. And they're foreclosing left and right on these buildings. And there were thousands and thousands of buildings across the country wow. uh, that were taken over by the FSLIC. They started this thing called the RTC, Resolution Trust Corp. And they were just fire selling everything, selling everything, just all over getting the country? rid of their inventory all over the country. But there right. was tons and tons in New York. Okay. So a bunch of the stuff I bought was... And even in Manhattan too, all over the place in Manhattan. Yeah, all over Manhattan. Okay. And so um, there was, banks wouldn't lend anymore in real estate at that time. And investors didn't want to invest in real estate because they saw all these other people got burned. Yeah. And you felt like you were the only person at that time that thought it was a good idea to start buying buildings. That sounds so like an Eric Margulies yeah, quote. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, I can't believe we haven't discussed this yet, but for six years, I'd say actually six and a half years, I was working for you. Yes, you so were. So I saw you. I miss you, Teddy. Come yeah, back. Yeah. Well, nah, I, don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> so I would see you at conferences talk about how you got into buying buildings. And that was something that you harped on that... Um, you were one of the only, or you felt like you were one of the only people in New Absolutely. York that it was a smart time to buy because right. the government was like, here, please, just take it. There, take everything the Everything was suppressed pricing. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, the classic business, business school model is that you look at the five-year treasury note, and at that time it was 8%. And so everything trades off the note. So, like, that's considered zero risk. So, like, um, you know, the big company at the time, IBM... IBM, if that's 8% for the government, IBM would be 8.1%. But in other words, that's how much they can borrow. That's the the interest rate they would have to pay to borrow. You know, mortgages, a house mortgage, though, was probably more like 9 or 9% or 10%. Um, but I was seeing deals in Manhattan where the returns were 12%, 14%. 
And not only that, but you can raise rents. So if you buy a treasury note um, at 8% and you hold it for five years, you pay $100 and you get back $100. At, at the early part, you, you want to keep going? One more, one more line. Yeah. So if they had, so, but, but these, the, the, because you were able to raise rents on these buildings, you're not getting back $100. You're getting back $120. So there were double ways that you were making more money than the treasury. And the rents were so low because of rent controls that it was basically no-brainer. Rents weren't going down. They weren't going down. You know, I bought this building. It was The average rent was $700, and it should have been $1,400. So I knew that the rents would only go up. And you saw that it should be $1,400 based on the rents in the area, Yeah, comparable right? rents, yeah. Okay. Uh, were there any buildings or particular instances that you as they say in real estate, lost your shirt, you know, you couldn't pay the mortgage, you lost the building, or were there instances within the first five to 10 years where you bought something you thought it was gonna be a good deal or it turned out not to be a good deal? Cause like uh, now it's a lot easier to know the the crux and details of something that's that has an issue, right, in real estate? No, it's not. You don't think so? No. Well, now wouldn't it be more easy cause you have a lot of people that know the information on the building. You have the DHCR, so you can go back and see what the rent was. You can go and visit the building. Maybe that there are technology things that make it easier. But was there a certain building that you messed up royally on? Well, you said the first five to 10 years. The answer is sure. no, I was fine. First five to 10 years, I mean, the worst I did was I bought one building. I know I paid too much for it, and I wound up selling it um, a few years later. But it's, did that deal was probably it? like a B. No, I still made money. Not what building was that? Ninety uh, Fifth Street. You remember that building, Mike um, Gordon? Mike Gordon. Yeah, Mike Gordon. <laughs> um, I had or an instance that I remember uh, vaguely was when you were you started buying some buildings down here in South Florida, and then you got into something that you weren't as familiar with, and yeah. that that was an issue. That, you that want was, to talk about that, was, that for yeah, a moment? Sure, sure. Um, I bought. Um, Two vacant buildings and two parking lots. On 12th and Collins. On 12th and Collins. Prime, prime location. Okay. And um, I closed on it right before the market crashed in 2008. So it was really horrible timing. And after a long slug, slog, I wound up giving it back to the bank. Uh, not I, not to the bank. I did. I did. I gave it to the bank, and then they sold it. In a situation like that, does a lot of money come out of your pocket that goes to the bank? Or I lost a lot of money. You personally, personally. But then also people who went in on the deal with you yes, lost money did. too. Yeah. What was that like after being in real estate, buying buildings for around 11, 12 years, where you were like, "All right, this is the first one I royally fucked up on." It sucked. And that made you not want to develop buildings anymore. What were your plans for the parking lots and the plans for that? I was going to build a hotel and a parking garage. Um, and actually, and if, uh, yeah, if you visit Twelfth and Collins now, they use the same design. They use the same the design hotel. that I personally designed. I personally designed. I gave it well, to the why, architect to, to to draw it up. Yeah, but I designed the layout. But then, when you, once you gave it back to the bank, did they say that you needed to give back everything that you yeah, have? Yeah, that's part of the docs when you sign with the bank. Right. That they foreclose like you on have you. A, they, yeah, they if you have everything. a good design, we're taking it. We're taking it. We're wow. taking everything you got. Uh, so you were going to build a hotel. That would have been so cool, man. Sorry yeah, right? to say. Sorry to say. That would have been okay. freaking cool. What were you that's going right. to name it? Teddy. The, the Ted Jones. <laughs> Ted Jones. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been, uh, been cool. Uh, what was your relationship like with your siblings? 
growing up because they're uh, similar in age to you, right? You have a yeah, my siblings, you have an yeah. older brother and an older sister. Correct. So what was that like growing up with them in uh, Jersey? Because they became lawyers. My, but they both became lawyers. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure your grandparents. I'm excuse me. I'm sure your parents were very happy about that. Yes. Well, I, I would like to think my parents but were proud. Were Talking proud about at me the too. yeah, but at the time when they were going to law school, right? They're probably like, "We made it. Our kids are going to law yeah, school, law school from Jersey." Yeah. And then you were working at TGI Fridays. They're like, "All right, what's yeah. this guy doing?" Well, I, I had an M, I, I had an MBA. And while which I was you say? Which you say? What? You've, okay. So I had a friend. So I remember thing I said to somebody, "I'm the only waiter at Fridays with a Wharton MBA." <laughs> and so my friend said, "Well, I'd rather be a waiter at Fridays with a Wharton MBA than without a Wharton MBA." And I remember I asked you one time. I was like, "Oh, well, what does that person do now?" You're like, "I don't know." Are you friends with them on Facebook? Maybe no, not. Oh, send them this episode. Yeah, I think she's on my Facebook. Send her this clip. Okay, Phoebe, you get in this clip. Whatever her name is. Her name is That's Speedy. A- Stop. Her name's actually Speedy? Well, that's her nickname. But I called her Phoebe? Yeah, that kind of sounds like that? it. That's crazy. That's like sometimes when I talk to somebody in the crowd, I'm like, what's your name? Sanjay? He's like, ah, it's re- RJ. <laughs> Something. Well, well actually, one time Indian, I was, like I was at the Palm in East Hampton, and it was COVID. What so a flex, were, huh? There were only like five or six people at the, at the bar. Yeah. And I was sitting at the bar with my buddy Sam, and... Um, we, there was this girl, you know, across the way, because, you know, like I said, there weren't many people there. And we were, we were talking to her. And I said, let me think. Your name is Maggie. And she got so offended. And then yeah, I find that's out. A, that's, yeah, and like, I find out her name is Megan. <laughs> what? Well, like, Megan and Maggie, I think, are different. It's got I the guess first they're different, letters, but they're the same the thing. Same, yeah. Come on. Like, right. You know, yeah. You know what? I don't think people are named Eric that much anymore. I don't think I they, never, they, ever, they never were. Really? I had like one kid in my class named Eric when yeah. I was growing up. I don't find so many teddies. When I do, I'm like, all right. All right. Teddy, but then I'll yo. ask them what their real name is. Oh, it's and always Theodore. Theodore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you had a good relationship uh, with your brother and sister growing up. Was sure. There, was there anything, maybe any advice that they had given you? Yeah, when shut you up. Felt like you were. <laughs> Eric, stop talking so much. No, but like when <laughs> you when you were struggling, um, maybe no. financially, uh, career no. wise. No. No. I, I didn't go to them. I went to my, my parents and what were some of the things that maybe they said to you that gave you uh encouragement i don't know you're not dead that's what they said to you no i, I don't know <laughs> i mean like keep it up i mean they, they were they were very helpful they yeah. were um you know they had a little bit more money than none and i had none and so they were helpful and my father was very helpful with me when i started when i when i got my first building he helped me raise money but and, he was uh, given the fact that he had just gone through um, a crisis with one of the buildings that he bought, like one of the first three. He was more—I uh, don't want to say scared to go into well, it, but he was definitely hesitant, right? Yeah, he was hesitant because of his upbringing in the depression. The depression right. His mo- the most important thing to him was security, and, um, and that's why he would press maybe his children to be doctors or lawyers. Yeah, security, security for sure. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. so let me just say one thing. So we were sitting at the closing table to buy the first building, and I looked over at my phone. We had nineteen ninety two. Yeah, nineteen ninety two. We'd already raised the money, and I was so pumped about it. And I turned on. I said, "Dad, if I said to you right now, let's just get up and leave," he said, "Let's go, let's go." 
And so he's just like that was his his where he came from. You know, he was so he, he was skittish about all those things. You know, I mean, thank God we didn't go. Yeah, but it was just it was just nuts. really funny. Like you know, and that's the same way it is me versus you. I mean, you take risks that I never would have thought of to doing, um, and you do things that I never would have considered doing when I was your age. You know, that's, that's what generations mean. Right. Um, at the same time, you know, you know, you mentioned that you are supportive financially, emotionally. I think having uh, supportive parents and having people around you that are doing the same thing, it obviously boosts your morale. And you're like, oh, well, other people are crazy enough to do what I'm doing right now. And I think that goes back to you talking with guys like Mike Besson and Amit, who had been in the real estate industry, well, I'm sure, for, what, three years or something at the time where they said that it was a good deal for you to buy that building in Chelsea. Um, what was the what was the second deal that you bought? And at what deal in real estate did you buy? And you were like, all right, I think I can make some good money. That's a great this. question. I remember sitting on the train, probably New Jersey. Clip this. We'll put this in the beginning. Go ahead. Hopefully probably it's Probably New good. Jersey Transit. And um, I was coming, I was going on the train from South Orange to New York. And I was just like writing numbers down. I was by myself and thinking if the, if the rents go up by this and go by by that and I buy another building and then I have this one and I can do this and do that and I can refinance. I said, wow, I can do this and I can do that. And I realizing that, you know, this really could work. It could really work. And I was, I mean, it, it was still years away from it working. You know, this was probably like 1994, 95, something like this. And it really didn't, I wouldn't say worked until like 97. I, um, so, which was 10 years after I had been originally laid off from that investment bank. So like I said, it took me 10 years to make a living. What was the best deal you've ever bought and sold? And sold? Mm-hmm. I, okay. I mean, because there's some that I, great deals that I bought that I still own. Right, but I'm talking about like where you bought it at a certain price and then you sold at a certain price. So Probably in South return. Beach. Really? Yeah, in South Beach. Like I, I started buying in 2003. Yeah. And what was the kind of stuff that you were buying? Like there were all those those um, like those Art Deco buildings, two and three story Art Deco buildings, like by the Flamingo District. Where's that? Um, inland, you know, in South Beach. So is that considered like 13th, 14th, 15th? Yeah, like, um, it, it's really considered fifth through 15th. Okay. Or fifth through Lincoln Road. That's the Art Deco District. Yeah, fifth through Lincoln Road, but. Um, I was buying, you know, so I, I, I bought a bunch of those buildings and I had it at 20 at one time. But there were like these two buildings specific. Basically, um, all these things trade on, they were at that time trading on a per square foot basis. I was buying it for $150 a foot. And I had the pick of the litter. There were so many buildings for sale and nobody was buying. And so I was just buying like corners. Because otherwise, if you, if you don't buy in a corner, you're like in like that and you have windows facing the next building over. And so um, I, I bought this one building that was, had been, it was 2003 or four, had been gotten renovated in 1992. So it was still in pretty good condition. And um, they, the condo market was exploding. And those buildings all there were fully renovated, selling for $350 a foot. So because this was 1992, I didn't really need to renovate it. All I did was I painted the outside. I think I put in a new roof and new lobby and nothing inside the apartments. And I sold them for $325 a foot. So instead of the $350 that the renovated stuff was selling for. And 
we would put five apartments for on the market at on Monday, and by Friday they were all sold. It was it was amazing. It was amazing. And it was, was like, this you had the same strategy when you came down here that you were using in New York for the previous ten years? Well, no, it was just a different market because you know in in New York it was all about the rental income. Here it was just per square foot, buying it and care what the rent was, and, and then just you'd sell it, selling quicker. out as condos. Right. And then there was another building um, called the Normal Lee that I bought, um, and I did nothing to it. I owned it for like 14 months, did nothing. And I sold it for twice as much as I bought it for. And you think that that was just the market? Was, yeah, yeah, it was a market. So if you had to give advice to somebody who was in an industry, they're doing well, they're making money, what would be something that you'd say to them? Is it stick with what you know? Don't venture off the things that you don't know. I don't keep doing what you're doing. I don't know uh, that I would venture up. I would say find the opportunity. Yeah, we're back. Yo. We're back in it. Sorry, guys. Okay, go ahead. So I cut that part. I should out. probably, probably back didn't know up. That so happened. saying that um, when you're putting in your time, it really does make a difference. You get to know people, and more importantly, people get to know you. So um, it's uh, a, a famous broker, Bob Knackle, a, a friend of mine. Uh, said it's not it's it's not who you know it's who knows you because they know to call you they know to give you the opportunities they know that you know if you've been um that's uh, another thing is, is is don't cheat don't don't scam the system just be honest and it, it really does pay off like when i you know early on there were three people that were big players you know big players on a small level me and two other guys um, one of the other guys stole money from oh his partners. Gosh, I remember this. He stole money from his partners. I remember you, you told me about that guy like yeah, when I first started so, working. You know, in the meantime, you know, the market's going like this. We're all doing really well. And this guy who stole, I don't know how much he stole, $75,000, dollars okay. from his partners was never able to do anything again. And that 100000 would have been like millions of He lost out on an opportunity say? to make millions. 50 million maybe? That he lost out on? Maybe. Probably, probably more. That's wild. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just stupid short-term thinking. So don't do short-term thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well, how do you feel about drugs? I'm just, I'm just kidding. Don't do any? drugs, right? <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I have some. I'm joking. Um, no. So so it's it, it's really important. To, <laughs> it, it's it's important to um, to your reputation, your word yeah. are really important things. Yeah. And, I, and I also, people come to you and yeah. solicit you because they know about your reputation. Every time I've met a person who knows you, they have nothing but good things to say about you, oh, to well, be that's honest. that's nice. Yeah, 100%. Thank you. 100%. Nobody's ever said, well, maybe somebody's been like, oh, your dad's really tough of somebody who like works for you, maybe something like that. But no one has ever said anything negative about you, at least when talking to me, which is a good thing. Because <laughs> they know you'd beat them up. Yeah, that's true. Is there something that we missed or something that you'd like to discuss or maybe advice that you'd have for me or people around my age at 30, people who are figuring out their careers and uh, hopefully we're going to live a little bit longer. So maybe there's some longevity in things that we're doing. It's, go ahead. It, it's, it's not just to work hard, but it's also to work smart. And sometimes working smart is even more important than working hard. You know, I said, like, like I said, you know, you keep your reputation intact. People always have to know that you're a good guy yeah. and you're an honest guy. And you're not going to stab them in the back and you're not going to steal things from them, uh, whether they be ideas or money or what have you, women. Um, you know, you just, it really, it, it's really important um, 
that you're, you're going to be in this for the long haul. And no matter what you do, um, protect your reputation. If you're working and you're doing an entrepreneurial kind of a thing, yeah, own a mechanic make, shop. make sure where you're going is the right way. Um, see where you're going to be on this path in five years and 10 years. And where do you want to be in, in 10 or 15 or 20 years? What do you want to have? Do you, do, is money important to you? Is freedom and time important to you? Are they both important? Um, you know, and, and make sure that you're on that track. Um, and, you know, see if, if there's a mentor available, get a mentor, somebody who can tell you, oh, you should be doing this or I was when I was your age, I was doing that. Those kind of things. It's really important to um, to respect and listen to people who've already gone done this stuff. You know, the world is so much different today than it was 30 years ago when I first started you yeah. know, with the Internet and social media. And all that kind of stuff. It's very, very different. So you have to adapt. You brought up an interesting point just then. Um, have finding someone a mentor, somebody who's done it already. But would you suggest taking advice from just anyone? Like, can somebody who you never thought would give good advice give a good gem at a particular time, or Why is not? it only sure? Yeah. Well, I was going to ask if it's only listening to people who have done what you want to do, because there's a there's a lot of uh stress on that people will talk about well i'm not going to listen to this guy he's not in a position that i want to be in but i think that even just it in um whatever it is if i'm listening to someone who maybe watches the podcast or who has watched a vlog before they're like yeah that part was really funny it'd be funny also if you this little thing in there like okay maybe i don't want to switch lives with this person but they just consumed content maybe they have um a little uh a little suggestion in there that would be beneficial to listen to. Yeah, absolutely. I uh -huh. mean, the, the entire world can teach you things. Yeah. You know, some parts can teach you a lot more than others. That's true. And you got to be able to filter it out yourself. You know, you take it all under, under do, advisement. Do you think AI is going to change the real estate market or change brokers or anything in New York City within the next 10 years? Yeah, I think so. I think it's because we're able, you, you know, you can access information so much, so much more quickly. So you have, um, I mean, you know, I, I, if I'm looking at, if I'm buying a building, I can figure out what comparable rents are all over the place. AI can aggregate that so quickly. Yeah. You know, um, there's a lot of stuff you're still going to need to do. You, I'm still going to need to go and look at the building and feel it and say, like, is this going to, is this really going to, is this a great area? Is it going to get better? What's going on with these stores? That kind of thing. Do people want to live here? Yeah. Um, but AI can definitely help. Um, I think in, in my specific corner of real estate, less so, which is good because I don't feel like learning it. Yeah. But, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's funny. Like I, I say, I say to people my age that this is the this is where we're going to leave off. You know, I see where my mother is, and for her, it's like the internet. That's where she left off. So she learned the internet, but it's not as easy for her as it is for me. Right. You know, it's more seamless for me. Um, you know, I, I can use my phone. I can do everything on my phone. My mother only uses a few functions on her phone. Yeah, and I think it's it's like once you hit a certain time frame in your life, or you hit a certain age, you're like, okay, I know what I know, and I don't really want to learn other yeah, stuff because yeah, and it also becomes it's yeah, it starts to become way more difficult. Like when we were at grandma's house, we were teaching her with this remote. Okay, don't use this remote. You can use this TV, but make sure you press this and. It's gotten so much more difficult, even from when I was a it kid. Has. I remember the remotes were so easy to use twenty years ago. <laughs> well, yeah, there yeah. wasn't enough. There wasn't. Or fifteen channels, but it was fine back then. And, and now, now it's like much access. Yeah, you have the the Sonos bar attached to the Samsung TV. So if you want to turn up the TV on the surround sound, you use the Sonos up and then use the yeah, TV that's annoying. down. That is annoying. Where you have you have two different 
ways yeah, to improve I think the it, I think sound. things will come it, together. I would uh, like that in a more seamless manner where we're going to be uh, using AI and there are going to be so many jobs that are going to be reliant on AI just because it's so much cheaper to use robots. Um, I don't know if you saw, oh, that's the laundry alarm, but I don't know if you saw um, Jeff Bezos was going to, they're going to start using um, robots in their, in, in their factories because it costs $3 an hour compared to $18 an hour to use a robot instead yeah, of a human. Sure. You know? Sure. So uh, we'll see how well, the people are going to have to get smarter. Changes. Also, I guess people will get smarter because yeah. You know, you, you can't just get a job where you're you're putting stuff in boxes and sending it down the conveyor belt. Yeah, you know that kind of stuff. We don't need you for that. You know, you're a smart human. Let's let's use you, and you know, and people will be happier, possibly also being to happy. An extent. Yeah, doing something like doing something more gratifying. I, mean, I guess that's a nice way to look at it. But other people are saying that it could be doomsday. How many years of your life would you say that you struggled to find something that you were good at and that you knew you were going to be successful? I'm in? still struggling. You know, it's it's a constant thing. You know, I mean, you know, you you always. I'm, I'm not struggling, but I'm not. You know, I'm, I'm always looking for the thing that's going to hit it, do it. You know, it's, it it never stops. Jeff Bezos is looking for that too. You know, and you you. you you don't stop growing. You so your your mind's still going. You still there's still opportunity. There's always opportunity. I think I got there. a I got a good question to to wrap this up here. Does mm -hmm. does money buy happiness? As people always ask, people always want to know this question. No, no, it doesn't buy happiness. What does it do? It enhances you. It's it 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 it, it but you know it 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 buys not being miserable. It it buys not having to worry about money. That's for sure. You know, money is a major stress point for a lot of people, and um, if you have more money, in theory, that shouldn't that should should alleviate that. So it makes life easier. Well, I'm not sure. You know, um, I had a, a girlfriend once who would say, "It doesn't matter how much money you have; it's how much money you spend." Ha. Okay, and that's true. You know, I mean, if you make a million dollars a year, but you're spending a million too. You know, you have well, a lot of money, you're but that's super an issue. aft because in taxes too, right? Yeah, I mean, and and or or if you if you make thirty thousand dollars, but you're spending twenty seven thousand, yeah, yeah, it matters yeah. what you spend. Yeah, which is a good way to think about it. It is. All right, all right, that's great, Dad. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Love Eric Margulies, guys. Love you, too. You're a great dad, great person, great human. Thanks for uh, listening, everybody. Yeah, if you ever get to know this guy, you see him on the street, say what up. Um, but um, you're a nice guy, cool, calm, most times, collected, <laughs> always, most times. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast it's for the second pleasure. day in a row. I'm honored. And uh, until the next time you're on the pod, Dad, right. thanks for everything. You're a great guy. All thanks, right, Ted. guys, you thanks too. so much for tuning in and listening. See you next time. Peace. See you guys. Peace.